The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. Welcome to this episode of Creative Conversations. My name is Lisa Johnson Davis, and along with my co-host, Gabriela Delgado, we are excited to spend time with an amazing educator and champion for children, Wendell Bass. Wendell has been a teacher and administrator in San Diego since 1979. He is a former principal of the original Lincoln High School, and during his tenure at San Diego Unified, was one of the authors of the Blueprint to Accelerate the Achievement of African American and African Students, in addition to writing the district's new school's transition plan. We've had the pleasure of working with Wendell and his wife, Dr. Angela Bass, as part of the San Diego County Office of Education's work on building equitable learning environments. It's a pleasure to host you to Creative Conversations, Wendell. Nice seeing you. Uh, nice to see you all, too. We're doing some equity work at the San Diego County Office of Education, and we met in that um, regard. And so part of our Creative Conversations is just to kind of give voice to the work uh, that others are doing in our community in San Diego. So uh, I would love for you to just kind of chart your, um, your background and how did you get to where you are today? What brought you here into this work? Wow. Um, well, professionally, uh, I actually started in 1972. So this is like my 48th going on my 49th year in education. Um, you know, professionally, I've taught, I've been a vice principal, uh, a principal, um, as you noted, uh, primarily at Lincoln High School. Uh, I was the last principal of the original Lincoln uh, from 1995 to 2003. And then I was blessed to be able to uh, help lead the design of the new Lincoln, along with uh, the Lincoln Gompers um task force that met for five years as we designed the new facility. Uh, never worked at the new facility, but uh, my work continued uh, beyond that. Uh, my last assignment uh, was uh, the principal of uh, Alba Community Day School, which was a school for those students who had violated the zero tolerance policies, and they were either expelled or had their suspensions expelled. So they spent a semester you know, with me before they could return back to regular school. I actually began my teaching career in 1972 as a teacher in a very similar program. So how I started my career is kind of how it ended, which was, you know, uh, which was good. Um, but I actually wanted to be a teacher uh, ever since I was 12 years old. And I saw my seventh grade, stu uh, seventh grade social studies teacher. And I thought, man, that'd be something I'd love to do. And it was. Uh, it ended up being that, but we had a visit to the counseling office, my mother and I, because uh, they wanted to talk about my test scores and, you know, just sort of an update uh, of, of my progress. So we got to a point where my mother asked, well, what were his uh, test scores, which were, you know, the state tests? Um, and he said, um, well, they were very low, you know, uh, in the lowest one third of all the kids who took the test and you know and i didn't take the test that serious but nonetheless that's where i was 
And so the counselor then asked me, he said, well, uh, Wendell, what would you like to be when you grow up? I said, well, I, I want to be a teacher. And he said, well, that's, that's really nice. Uh, he said, you're a nice looking young man. You're articulate, but, and my mother promptly said, but this conversation is over. And we got up and left. And when we got outside at 12, I'm like, whoa. I said, Mom, what was that about? And she said, no one will ever use the word but with you as, as long as I'm living. She said, they use the word but with me and your dad and your grandparents. And that but is always followed by you can't do it or some other kind of negative <clears throat> piece to it. And... I don't know, maybe that, 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 that moment, uh, she planted a seed, I think, that carried with me for the rest of my days, um, you know, that you are to advocate for children, you are to take a stand when wrong is being done, and guess what I am today? She said, you can become anything that you want to become, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise, and so guess what? I, I, I lived uh, uh, my dream. And, and thank God I'm still involved in it uh, by doing some, my wife and I, Angela Bass, we do some equity work with uh, San Diego County Office of Education. So. And you come from a long line of professional, um, you had, you mentioned doctors and teachers. And so you come with all of these, you're, you're sitting on the shoulders of all of these people. You do you do this work, and then you come to San Diego. Yeah. And when did you come in to San Diego? I came to San Diego in 1979, uh, primarily because my wife couldn't stay in Kansas. <laughs> it's too hot and it's too cold, and uh, so we moved out of here in 1979. She we married in '78, and she was uh, a military uh, child, so they lived all over the world, and. Uh, so we moved out here in, in uh, 1979, and I taught at Wangenheim Junior High, and she I got a job at Vista Grande Elementary School. And uh, so I come from, you know, like you said, three generations of uh, school board members going back into the 1800s, which was unheard of, uh, especially in Kansas, in rural Kansas out near uh, Dodge City. As where my great grandparents were huge landowners, and then um, there's five generations of teachers, four or five generations of teachers in my family, and uh, several generations of principals and administrators, and uh, four generations of physicians. And so we come from a place where, uh, and my parents used to tell us all the time, uh, "You're on this earth to serve other people." So find you something that you can do uh, that will allow you to serve others. So that's kind of the tradition I come out of. So along those lines, Wendell, I'm curious because you've had such a rich journey in education and in being of service to others. And you've um, planted seeds in the life of young people the same way um, many did for you. But I'm curious what has been your your greatest joy in being of service to students and families? And then what has been your greatest challenge uh, working within a, a K-12 educational system? Ooh. 
My greatest joy, boy, that's woo. That's <laughs> that's a big big time question. I think my greatest joy is seeing uh, seeing the light come on. Um, and what I mean by that is to look into a child's eyes when they first hear you say that they're brilliant and you see them at first, they kind of look up at you like, what are you talking about? And uh, then you begin to explain it and you begin to talk to them when you see the light go on in their eyes. And oftentimes many children have never been told that. Um, you know, matter of fact, many of them have heard just the opposite, either via teachers, parents, I mean... Um, so I think that would be one of my greatest joys and right up there is, is, are my two children who elected to come to Lincoln, um, for their high school experience. I didn't necessarily want them there because I, you know, especially when my son came and said, are you sure I'm the principal? It ended up being one of the most fantastic experiences, you know, that I've had, uh, um, and seeing them just fit right in like everybody else. And that was fun. Probably my greatest challenge, um, because Lincoln High School, at the time I was principal, um, from about 1988, 89, somewhere in there until we closed, Lincoln didn't have a feeder middle school uh, because they made Gompers a total magnet school. And they kept the neighborhood kids. Our, our, our feeder was Gompers, so when kids finished eighth grade there, they would come to Lincoln. Well, many of the neighborhood children were kept out of the magnet at Gompers, and the community became upset about it. So the board, without realizing what they decided, decided that all the resident kids could go into the magnet. And and Gompers then was an atypical school going from seventh grade to twelfth grade. So when we went to articulate the students for our, uh, enrollment, they told us you don't need to come because you only got about six or eight kids that even want to come. And that's when I realized, oh, my goodness. Uh, and I was vice principal then. This is a move. I always thought there was a move to close Lincoln anyway. And uh, so oh, we were upset. So basically what we did is we didn't we didn't stop existing. We took whoever came in the door. And. Uh, so I started testing every child that came into the school in math and reading. And uh, what I was finding is that the average child who came in, I had that I had that top tier of kids, a third of them who they would be outstanding at any school. But many of my children, 26% of them, came from other schools in San Diego Unified where they were put out. They were either removed or told to go back to the neighborhood and they checked in reading at the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade level, and many of them far, far below in math. And so I was getting the children who had been miseducated for years under this notion of busing is going to get you a better education. Well, you know, I always know that my enrollment increased at, at, at semester because it started that path of sending kids back who were busing into their neighborhood schools. Um, so my biggest challenge became then many of these kids checking in as ninth graders, uh, as uh, 10th graders. Uh, the challenge became how do we raise, first of all, self-esteem? How do we look at them and, and instill greatness in them? And, and then from there, how do we then deal with their academic performance? 
I mean, it was difficult, but, you know, our attitude became, and, uh, and I, I used to tell my teachers all the time, I said, you know, we're not responsible for how they come to us. What we are responsible for is what we do with our children when we have them. So we're going to be in the business of saving children. And, uh, and I let all this information out to the school board, and they were shocked that this kind of stuff was going on. I said, but that's the, the systemic, or as we call it today, systemic racism, practices and policies, you know, that are not designed to, uh, to, to, to get the best out of our children. And so we, became, we, we had that reputation, and we became a very family-oriented school. And, um, you know, when I see all the former students of mine on Facebook, they often will put things on there about their high school experience. And many of them are in their, you know, they're in that 30s to, to 50 range and, and how it was family and, you know, how I found myself. And, you know, so I think when you begin to tell children that they're brilliant and then you begin to demand that they walk in their brilliance and then you try to be brilliant in front of them, you know, I may not be able to get them all the way up to where they need to be, but I doggone sure know that that they will be inspired. And remember, education is beyond high school. And they will continue to go on and get their education, become productive uh, members of society and go on to do great things. And, and uh, so, wow, that was a great question. We're in the pandemic. We've had our... I, what I call our young colleagues, because I, I'm very cognizant of the fact that many of our high school students that we had the privilege of, of helping to facilitate their education are now working as professionals, lawyers, you know, um, all of these wonderful things that they're doing. But now we're in, we're in COVID and our young people have been working with their families in a way that they haven't before. They've been home. Um, families are coming into the classroom in a way that they haven't before. Wendell, what do you think is something that we could build when we're thinking about what you just said? You know, ultimately, a school that really impacts, I feel, is that family. And I can think about it in terms of my school. I, that's exactly the words that kids use. In our after-school programs, when it resonates with the, the kids um, in after-school, they're talking about it in terms of my family. So how, how does school reimagine itself now? Well, I think it reimagined itself um, with some foundational shifts in thinking. Uh, you know, when we did uh, a lot of our work this past year with, uh, you know, the county ed department, we, we talked a lot about identity, mindset, and skills. Uh, critical is our mindset and, and, and our identity. And so we've got to have a major shift in this belief that every child is brilliant. It sounds a little corny, but guess what? When you see them as brilliant, it can change how you teach them. And then you begin to teach them. But the adults have got to start to learn how to walk in their brilliance. Because not only are children brilliant, so are adults. But we haven't always been told that. So we put caps on ourselves. We put ceilings on ourselves. You know, we saw a piece of uh, Donovan Livingston doing his uh, commencement speech at Harvard in 2016. 
And he ends the whole thing with, um, sky is not the limit. It's the launching place. See, so we, so we got to stop putting lids on children. Um, you know, so we kind of start there and we've got to have this notion of what love is. You know, love is about care. Love is about embracing. Love is about making certain that each individual has what it, they need in order to be successful. And we, we, we a lot of times have this belief that some get it, some have it, and some don't. You know, and therefore people begin to treat themselves and each other in that way. Uh, so we start with a fundamental shift in our, in our belief systems about children. And then I think we have to first then start with us. Step one is to start with us. What are our biases? What are, what, what are our, um, you know, how do we view ourselves? How do we view others? And, and so forth. But we've got to do introspection. We've got to be very reflective. You know, who are we and what are we attempting to be? Uh, I think we, we then um, I- include um, uh, other, or actually we connect to others. We begin to form relationships. And we begin to come to know the stories of our children and our families. You know, when you know, you can't teach anyone well that you don't know. And, and, and we need to spend time understanding how to build relationships with people that are authentic, loving, and caring. See, no, no parent, no one should ever come onto a campus and have to stand 15 minutes at a counter to be waited on. And someone says, well, what do you need? You know, I mean, we do some things that we don't really invite people in a lot of times in our schools. But we begin to um, make those connections so we can begin to understand who it is that we we are serving and what are their experiences. You know, and obviously over the last year, uh, these experiences have changed dramatically. People want to get back to normal. Well, can't go back to normal because what was normal doesn't exist anymore. So what we need to do is look at normal as being uh, what is ahead of us, what's in the future, how do we create new norms. And that's, what I think, where you're saying that reimagining schools. Then I think that we, we have to then include people. So, you know, we know that there things have changed. So how do we gather all of our stakeholders, including children, and invite everyone to the table and begin to talk, you know, what, what, who are we? What do we want to become? What do we want our school to be? See, what are the needs that we now have? See, sometimes those social, emotional, developmental needs now are far more in some ways right now important than worrying about those academic needs. It's not that you don't worry about the academics, but we've got people that have seen death. We've got children that have seen it. We've got, I mean, all those things have happened to people. And that's why I kind of laugh when people say, hey, well, look at the learning loss that has occurred. Really? Maybe some, you know, books that you didn't get to or, or that? Okay, yeah, you might be a little lost there, but you can make that up real quick. That's skill building. But look at all they have learned, you know, in terms of social justice and what all that is about. How to, how to grapple with death, how to grapple with all of a sudden my, my dad and mom are working, but now they don't have a job. How do we deal with homelessness? See, how do we deal with 
with medical care. You know, this pandemic has exposed a lot of things, a lot of the inequities in our society. And how do we build a better society and better schools? But we've got to hear our stakeholders and what they think are the things that are important. And then I think we could then create new prototypes. You know, in other words, we're looking at what our people need. We give them what they need when they need it, which is my definition of equity, giving them what they need when they need it. And how do we then begin to build those things? How do we reallocate, redistribute the resources that we have for both students, staff, and community so that we can build a school that is truly centered around the needs of everyone, in particular, our children. So, You just framed the curriculum of life. That's <laughs> the new curriculum. Yeah. The curriculum shared experiences, the curriculum of, like you said, why can't as an educator, we harvest that, that those experiences that you just mentioned, harvest that in creating this integrated, experiential, social, emotionally grounded curriculum where we engage in learning in a different way so that we are actually co-creating the learning and learning about each other. And and. I, I wonder what, if, if you have carte blanche, you're, you're the Department of Ed, Wendell, you, oh. anybody, what, are there some succinct steps that you um, and, and Dr. Bass, your wife, are, are there things that you're thinking about to be able to, to harness that, to get to that next step? Because it sounded like a lot of it, like you mentioned, identity, it has to start with us. Yes. And I, I think, you know, we, I, I think we fundamentally have to teach people how to build relationships. And, 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 and I'm, this is just Wendell Bass's opinion. You know, the, the people, you know, can think what they want to think. But, you know, racism and, and all of that, those are ugly things. And they exist. You know, uh, I, this nonsense is going around now about, you know, don't teach about that, you know, this attack on critical race theory, which, you know, to me, all critical race theory is just tell the truth about history. That's all it is. Quit leaving stuff out. You know, quit living in the 51st state of, uh, of, of the country, which is a state of denial. You know, so let's let's um, sit down and figure out how to build relationships. And one of the ways to do it is let's just sit down and tell me your story. Do it in a way that, you know, there's structure to it. But a lot of times we walk around fearing one another. We make assumptions about one another. And we really don't know each other's stories. And I I tell you, uh, we just found a recent article that a psychologist did around the telling of stories and what it does to your brain and, 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 and how your brain shifts and takes this new information in and and helps to create in you a much more caring and endearing person. And so I don't know. I mean, we just got to, I just see a whole lot of stuff around how do we become more people oriented, people centered, um, you know, and when we do that, I think we, we come much closer to hitting the mark. Yes, we should be concerned about academic outcomes but see, you can't be concerned only about academic outcomes without understanding the experiences that people are going through. You know, I think there's a disconnect 
with many brown and black children and certain Asian groups of folk. Well, actually, in, in all ethnicities, to be honest, but but I think there's a real disconnect there because our experiences aren't necessarily embraced. And unless you fall into, um, you know, this whole Americanized version of what an American should be, um, you know, you're leaving out a, a, a large segment of the population. And so I think we've got to really start fundamentally with how do we embrace whoever comes to us, create relationships, understand their story, redesign the curriculum so that the curriculum becomes it can become project oriented. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to teach, you know, good Lord. And we've got the tools to teach. Well, uh, we, we know we like Ron Edmonds says, a great educator said, we already know what to do is do we have the will to do it? And, and, and I, and Asa Hillier the third wrote an article back in the nineties that says, do we have the will to educate all children? See there, a lot of this stuff can be done if, you know, if we have the, you know, the will to do it. So um, that's where I think, you know, we can really make a difference. I'd invest uh, a lot of time and money, you know, in that. But but I would be teaching teachers how to teach differently, starting with their beliefs, uh, their expectations, how to become a warm demander, you know. Um, the warm demander believes in getting every child to to uh, fulfill their potential. And sometimes they have to be tough. Now, you know this isn't your best. I want you to sit down and I want you to redo this again because you can do much better. Um, I love a, 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 a video that I would show my uh, master's students at Point Loma Nazarene, and it's by uh, uh, Rita Pearson. And there's a piece in there that Rita talks about where a little boy, she's an elementary teacher, a little boy turned his work in. There were 20, 20 problems and he missed 18 of them. And so she set him down and they're talking about it. And he said, well, Miss Pearson, he said, uh, in this paper in F, I missed 18 out of 20. She said, well, yeah. And, and he says, uh, well, why did you put a smiley face uh, on, on the top, a, a smiley face and, and, and a plus mark on, on the, and a plus two on the top of my paper? You know, and she said, well, can't you do it? She said, I know you can do better if you go back and study and try real hard, can't you? And he said, well, yeah. And, uh, and her, her conclusion to that was, she says, you know, if you put minus 18, at the top of the page, you know, in red mark or with a, a frown on the face, she said, that sucks the life out of you. But if you, but if you put a plus two, it shows you on the right road. And she said, now that you're on the right road, don't you think you can do better? And he said, oh, Miss Pearson, I know I can. And the kid comes back and does much, much better. So it's a lot about our approach and how do we inspire children and how do we create win-win situations and i believe that if i had the money we're going to take these kids off campus so much learning can occur off of campus you know i had children that never been to the beach remember when we took our football team the first time to go to uh, uh washington uh state and play a football game you know we took them on the bus most of them had not even been to the airport 
and you would think every child would have had that experience. Many of our children, basically the world is what's around them. It's kind of like a frog in the middle of a pond on a lily pad. And to him, the world is that lily pad because he hasn't really been anywhere else. And so how do we take our children out, you know, into the community so they can learn, you know, about the community? How do we bring in mentors? There, were, there are people out there I know would love to come into schools and inspire children. So how do we set up mentorships, partnerships? You know, uh, we used to have in San Diego Unified a huge business uh, partnership program. And it's interesting, I had uh, 18 partners, very active. And so they called my school, we had a coalition. But how do we get those kind of partnerships so the children actually get real life experiences? And what happens in the school ends up becoming real. You know, the, the, what they're learning becomes real because now they can attach it to it. They can see the value of it. And you stop always maybe getting those questions and say, I don't know why we got to learn about these X's and O's. You know, that I'm never going to use that in my life. But, you know, anyway, that, I know enough talking on that. But those are some fundamental things that I would do and make certain that every child's involved in some kind of extracurricular activity, uh, regardless of what it happens to be. And then um, I think you'll see a difference in many of our children. Well, and Wendell, and I think that you're speaking to about something that really is not just applicable in K-12. I mean, this is understanding people's stories when I think of when I've taught at the university level and really trying to understand that I had a lot of students who was there. They are the first in their family to, um, you know, a, a, um, apply and enroll and successfully complete a advanced degree. And so I think even for those of us not in the university setting, it could be just in any place that we work, you're talking about something that's very, it's fundamental that's and right. it's basic and, and sounds simple, but I think it's hard to do because it's scary oftentimes oh, yeah. oh. for a lot of folks to, to truly be vulnerable and, and put yourself out there and, and, mm -hmm in the hopes that someone will return that as well to say, I'm willing to give a little bit and share of myself so that you get this full picture and not have it be what statistics might say about me because I fit a particular profile. So I think it's important for, for folks tuning in to have that be applicable in a variety of settings to say, it doesn't matter what industry we're talking about. If you don't know the basic things that, that make your coworkers light up or understand why they chose one path over another. Why did they choose to go in this direction versus another? That's right. That, that's where I feel a lot of us actually do have a lot of influence and power. We can choose to do that or we can choose not to. But anybody mm -hmm. has it within them to say, I just, I'm willing to take a little uh, risk and share a little bit about myself in the hopes of building this relationship with people. So that's something I'm walking away from listening to you is that, again, this isn't just for elementary, middle, high school. This is in any industry. People can, can build relationships of their, of their own accord if they're willing to take that risk to just say express vulnerability and amazing things can happen when you just show people who you really are and you're not hiding behind a degree or hiding behind a credential or a title, that doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I've never seen anybody put their full credentials on a headstone. 
I've never seen that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I've actually never heard people really get into that, even at all the funerals I've attended. That's not what is highlighted at the end of the road. It's no. the impact that you talked about, the stories, mm-hmm. the families, the fact that they had dinner. Your dad um, was a, a dad to a lot of young people. That's what you're really getting at is that people really remember, not these things that we tend to. That's right. It's fluff. It's all great stuff. We've earned it and it's, we've worked hard for it. But that's not what's really going to make an impact with another person. It's whether or not you genuinely care for them and see them. And that's what I think in, in your time as an education, you see people, you saw, you continue to see people today, but you saw people, you saw your teachers, you saw custodial staff, you saw the children, you saw the parents. And that's what I think when people say, well, what can I do? This problem of, of equity and access is so big. And what can I do in my one little role? But that is actually something that people can do. Well, just be kind to somebody today and then That's be kind right. to someone else tomorrow. And That's then just, right. again, extend that olive branch to someone and just just ask, be curious about their life and who they are. And That's I, right. I agree with you that I think that that can, can start a, a ripple effect that can, oh, that yeah. can lead to, to some major momentum. Well, you know, we had a young man at our school, Jason. You know, Jason was a big kid. And we had a wonderful program with Sharp Healthcare where children actually worked at, at, at uh, Sharp Healthcare in the afternoon. And they were paid a stipend through the San Diego Workforce Partnership. And then Sharp, boy, I think there's over 100,000 hours of dedicated time by employees mentoring and, and letting young people shadow. And, and they hired even some of our children, you know, once they graduated. Well, Jason, um, you know, he was a, a big kid, uh, had, you know, had some special learning needs and so forth. Well, he just wasn't working out too well. And, and I used to always tell everybody on my campus that, that seriously, every adult, you're a teacher. I don't care what your role is. You know, that's, you know, the custodian is just as important in some child's life as, as someone with their Ph.D., I said, we can't get caught up in that. I said, that's all, 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 all paper is gets you in the door. You know, competence is what keeps you in the room. See, so you might have a piece of paper, but if you don't know how to connect to people and relate to people and all of that, so what, you got a bunch of paper. So my custodians, my head custodian and one of the other custodians, my teacher who ran the program and her assistant, went to them and said, you know, we got Jason, you know, we don't want to give up on him. You know, is there something we can do? And you know what they did? <laughs> they formed um, uh, an internship for Jason. And what he did was to help the custodians, you know, and all kinds of things started to come out as they worked with him and taught him. And, and Jason, um, we found out was a poet didn't know it but he was a poet and we had a poetry wall where kids could put their poetry up on a wall and and jason was always putting very good stuff up on the wall but he struggled in other areas of school and even some emotional struggles but anyway over the course of the year you know you could actually trust jason more than you could our custodians he knew what to do, when to do it, you know, all those kind of, he loved it. His mother gave permission for him to, you know, to be there to do it. And this young man, I mean, just grew in leaps and bounds uh, as a human being. So check this out. So my custodians 
uh, uh, Diane and Ron, Ron Dare and Diane Hayes, uh, loved them. And they brought Jason up to the counter. And I noticed Jason got on a white shirt, you know, black pair of pants and so forth. I said, wow, looking good. And so they're all at the counter because my desk, I could look and see who's at the counter. So I told, you know, so Jason came in and said, uh, and my secretary said, uh, you have an appointment with Jason. And I'm like, okay, well, come on in, Jason. And Jason sit down and he looks at me and he, of course, he's smiling and he looks at me and I said, well, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, so forth. He said, Mr. Bass, um, he got a little nervous. He said, Mr. Bass, um, uh, you know, I'd like to go to the prom, um, but, you know, my uh, mom, you know, we don't have much. You know, it's a real struggle at home. And I was wondering if there's something that I could do to earn uh, money or something to get a ticket to go to the prom. Now, I'm telling you, my eyes watered. I'm sitting in front of this boy. My eyes is watering like nobody's business. And I said, Jason, I said, you have already earned your way. I said, I want you to go down and see Ms. Leverkum, who was our financial secretary, and tell her to give you a ticket to go to the prom. That boy had, as he described me one time, that guy with the big Kool-Aid smile. And he had that big smile on his face. And he went out the door. And when he went out the door, he walked over to And Diane and Ron grabbed that boy. And they had, then Jason was about six foot four or five. And they hugged each other and so forth. He was so excited, you know. And so later on, I talked to Ron and Diane. I said, what you guys have done for that young man is amazing. And um, I said, he's so dressed up. And they said, well, yeah, we wanted to, we bought him some, we bought him a, a, a shirt, pants, shoes, you know, sport coat, tie, you know, and so forth. So Mr. Bass has been, it, it, it has enriched us far more than what maybe what we've done for Jason. See, that's, those are the kind of schools we need to be creating. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter how much money they have. I mean, that stuff's so insignificant, but we put such emphasis on it. But how do we touch every single person so that they can, you know, be inspired, that they can reach their dreams, that they can be motivated? See, that's equity. See, we're always trying to define equity in terms of things we do. No, equity is love in action. That's what it boils down to is love in action. I see a need. See, there was a man, uh, he, he, he was more than a man, but let's put it this way. He walked the earth one time, you know, and he, he saw those that were hungry. He saw those that were locked up. He saw the lame. He saw all of them and he touched them and healed them in ways that they couldn't do themselves. And a lot of it had to do with his mindset, you know, towards others. So if we have a mindset of love and compassion and caring, see, then our schools become those loving places where children enjoy coming to. You know, we got, we, and, and you, you asked the right question, how do we reimagine schools? Then just think about the, the, the a pretty large number of children who, despite what we've been through and schools getting ready to open up, they've elected not to come to school. I'll just rather do my stuff online. What have we created 
that children and families are making decisions to not come to school. So I don't know that, that, that Jason story. I mean, it still it's, it still touches me, but it, it played out in live and living color, and uh, and we can do it. This is not beyond anybody's ability. You don't need money. You don't need a book. You don't need you know all that kind of stuff. Just show some love and caring, and then watch what happens. It changes lives. And I truly appreciate this time with you, Wendell. We, we can do it. If we believe that we are human beings with potential. That's right. And just going back full circle to kind of how you started our conversation, we need to be champions for children, for families, and really for ourselves. It, it all starts. So I would love to invite you back to even a second creative conversation. If you are willing, um, we could talk a little bit more about some of those issues that you just brought up, but I truly appreciate Gabby. I don't know if you have a last question as we, as we conclude. Not not a question, just a, a sincere and heartfelt thank you for giving me my dose of inspiration that, that, that I needed. So I very much appreciate you, Wendell. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate you guys even considering me, you know, so, uh, you know, to be a part of this. And um, we, we can do what we put our minds to, you know. I, I'll just say these last words when I was principal of Keeler Middle School. I um, would have a, 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 assemblies with my, because I'm a big assembly believer, bring the children together and talk with them. Not talk to them, talk with them. And uh, so one 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 uh, week it would be to give your most improved awards, you know, best scholar and all of that. And and the teachers could not repeat a child. So in other words, by the end of the year, everybody should have gotten some kind of recognition. But the other one was just me talking to them. And uh, I used to always end the assemblies with these three things. The first one was my mind is a pearl. I can learn anything in the world. And they'd have to stand up and repeat this stuff after me and shout it out. And said, and then if my mind can believe it and my heart conceive it, I know I can achieve it. But the most important of the three was the last one that says, I will not quit. And, uh, you know, and that, that gets repeated back to me from time to time, you know, from these young adults now that I, that I run into. So thank you guys for, you know, allowing me to be a part of uh, this conversation. And, you know, I, we can make a difference.